This is the 966 episode 95. Hello, Richard Wilson. How are you? Excellent. Lucian Ziegler, how are you? Excellent. I'm do- doing well. Staying cool here on a globally very hot day and week. Um, looks like you're staying cool as well. The AC looks like it's pumping over there. You know, I actually mentioned at some time, at least once every day, like I'm so feel so fortunate to have a home in AC and to be able to achieve, you know, maintain some sort of uh, comfort and really health safety. I mean, this is really, really brutal. And if you're out in this, it's just globally, it's, it, you know, it's dangerous. Yeah. Richard, we will be talking a little bit about the global heat wave going on in today's episode. Um, we've got a really great show. We are guest less this week, Richard, and then we'll be back with a very steady stream of guests throughout the summer. So a little bit of a breather here, and it's just you, just the 966 boys this week. Just us. You, just can, us. you can you can either get fired up or, you know, turn us off. I, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> that's right. There is no forced listening or viewing, but it is cool to see the audience grow. Richard, we mention it frequently, but we were just talking about it right before the show started. It is nice to see these numbers continue to grow. So it's uh, cool that the 966 fam continues to expand globally. Richard comments, uh, good ones this week. This one from Trimax on YouTube. He says, quote, I think they will. They've gotten the support from a plethora of countries. He's talking about the um, Expo 2030. He thinks they're going to win it. Saudi Arabia will. Like Caribbean nations, Pacific Island nations, many Arab, Muslim, African, and some European nations. He then compliments Richard on his French pronunciation. Très bien, Richard. Um, Well done. (laughs) Uh, thank you, Trimax, for that uh, comment. I think he is Canadian, so he, you know, is a sort of French pronunciation expert. Yeah, so there he, you go, I guess he, he would know. So that, that, that's a that's a nice lift for the day. Yeah, that that was a good. And by the way, that's a you know, you you, you produce these things, and so you the segments come out. So that's the latest one, and, and you roll them out. In a perfect world, we slice and dice everything, but we have to grow a little bit to get to that perfect world. But you do a great job on that. And and listeners and viewers should know that, you know, if you don't want the whole enchilada of an episode, uh, you know, segments, you know, roll out over the course of the ensuing week. Yeah. Snacks. If you don't want to sit down and have the full midday meal, which uh, we understand, it's all good. We are just happy that uh, you guys are here. Um very well done, Richard. Um, <laughs> I, I love that. Um, this comment from Omrand2 on YouTube. Good afternoon. There are no, there are Saudi female Uber drivers. Most of them filter to accept only requests from women. So that's, that is a direct comment toward me explaining why I have not had yet any female Uber drivers in, in Riyadh, despite taking maybe 300 Ubers over the last year or so. There you go. It's not that they're necessarily avoiding me. It's that they may just be filtering <laughs> you, out all males. And your gender. Cool. Yeah. <laughs> uh, that's useful info because I hadn't had, had a female driver either. That's useful info. That's useful info. I, I, you can't do that in the United States or elsewhere, I assume. Right. So. Um, oh, that's true. I, 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 you know, well, I know any, no, uh, any Uber, Uber driver can or Lyft can accept any ride. They don't have to accept every ride. So they, they may filter it by, by gender too. I actually thought that all drivers in Saudi Arabia were Pakistani because I think we laughed last time uh, because Uber drivers are limited to Saudis and at surge uh, periods, there's 
a shortage of drivers. So you could, you know, you know this, you've done mm-hmm. this many times. You walk out, you call an Uber and there's nothing. Mm-hmm. So I usually just flag down a cab, a taxi going by and they're almost all Pakistani. Yeah. Obviously all men do. Uh, so that's, that's why I, that's why I get around Riyadh. <laughs> um, I've never flagged Pakistani down a friends. in Riyadh. Never. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, if you, if you're stuck, you need to do it. I mean, if you, if you, you know, like, cause of the surge is surge times. And you know, a lot of times you're over there during uh, major, uh, you know, conferences and forums and that sort of thing. So, you know, there's, you know, you come out and there's, you know, a hundred other people trying to get a, an Uber at the same moment. Yeah. It's a, it's funny, Richard, you mentioned that because it's actually the Uber there is so good. And Saudis will say, well, if this isn't working, try, you know, one of two or three other apps. Some have, you know, cheaper cars, I guess. They, they have some sort of distinctive thing about them, but they're all rideshare apps. Um, and I've never had to do that. The Ubers are always oh, really? pretty easy to find, except for that one time yeah. after the PIF forum where uh, there was a huge rainstorm in Riyadh and I was just stranded. There was nothing I could do. And I tried all of those apps at that time as well, and none of them picked up. So maybe I should start building up some points or a rating or so that they know I'm a known quantity over there. So, yeah. Um, that's- yeah. And actually there should be a, you know, some sort of, okay, check mark. If you're a, a you know, a reasonable male, that you, 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 you a female would, will, will drive us, but yeah, you know, and then, you know, it's just so much back in the day, you'd have to hire a driver, uh, you know, just to get around. I mean, it, it was anyway, it, you know, it's, it's a lot, easier now yeah absolutely richard this comment from noof on whatsapp time for a haircut lucian <laughs> and when i got that um that was from the kanta ahmed segment and conversation which richard was actually truly fantastic we, we really enjoyed that if you haven't watched that or listened to that on the youtube page check out the audio version of it she's brilliant and that was a lot of fun Noof, thank you. I think I'm going to let this thing ride for a bit. Um, but um, yeah, well, there you go. So yeah, we have yeah, all feedback, positive it, and negative. <laughs> it's summertime. You either go long or short, you know? That's right. I don't think it's that long, but I mean, I, I kind of like paid attention to it this week and gave it a little bit of extra um, muscle uh, just to, you know, make it look like maybe there was a haircut. Yeah. Um, and um, Richard, one more from Abdul Rahman on that episode. Kanta, uh, Sabah Al-Kerrigan morning. The Kanta episode is a home run. Good job, guys. Thank you, Abdul Rahman. It was a great episode and we appreciate him listening and always helping us out. He's the man. 100%. Ditto. Uh, uh, double check mark, smiley face. Excellent on Abdul Rahman being the man. Yep. Uh, and yes, the Kanta episode was terrific. It was really good. She's, she was brilliant. It was great. Richard, let's jump into it. Before we do, though, sorry, let's not jump into it yet. Um, oh, please oh, give us a rating I, and review. And Oh, do you have something to add to it? No, no, you? I was poised. I'm on the ledge. Ready oh, you were ready to jump. And I said, well, hold on a second. <laughs> hold on a second. Please, so please give us uh, a rating and review us wherever you can, YouTube or, or on Apple um, Podcasts, Spotify. We're getting a lot more listeners on Spotify. I, I, Spotify, I guess that's more of a positive. Uh, uh, attractive platform now for podcasts. I don't really listen to any there, but for all of our Spotify listeners, what's up? Thanks for thanks for what's listening to up? us there. Yeah. What's up? <laughs> what's up? Okay, there it is, Richard. What's your one big thing this week? Um, congratulations to the 1.8 billion Muslims in the world on the occasion of Islamic New Year, which was observed in Saudi Arabia this Wednesday, July third, July nineteenth. 
so yesterday as we record in a week uh in the islamic or, or hijri calendar our july 19th is the first day of the month of muharram in the islamic year of 1445 so um I thought it would be appropriate to do a one big thing on the Islamic calendar because I, and, and, you know, it's funny, Abdul Rahman, you mentioned him. I've always been impressed with how smoothly and easily our Muslim friends managed to balance two calendars. I, mean, I have, you know, on my watch here, I have the Muslim, you know, day and date, and it's on my phone. Uh, but I never refer to it. It's just sort of there. Uh, so I have Muharram 2, 1445 for today. Um, but, you know, for someone in, in you know, in, say, uh, uh, someone uh, who is a Muslim, um, the, the operation is not so simple. I think they don't even think about it, but it's quite complex. So uh, anyway, it's a shout out to Islamic New Year and a little info on the history calendar. Unlike the Gregorian calendar, some of you may know this, so this may be very, uh, you know, uh, 101 elementary uh the gregorian calendar which is based on the earth's move around a movement around the sun basically a steady 365 days the history calendar is based on the moon by the way many 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 you know ancient civilizations were based you know their calendars were based on the moon i mean the babylonians the jews the greeks egyptians aztecs incas hindus so you know that's sort of standard issue historically um, but so, so the new moon, every new moon marks the beginning of each of the 12 lunar months and a full year amounts to 354 or 355 days. So the, the history calendar is essentially 10 or 11 days shorter than the Gregorian calendar. So the calendars don't align. Uh, for you and I, it doesn't matter. We go by the Gregorian. Also, you know, year one in the Hijri calendar begins with the year 622 of the common area and the Gregorian calendar. So in that year, the Prophet Muhammad and the then existing Muslim community migrated from Mecca to Medina. So this Hijra or migration, uh, according to the Caliph Umar, who was a, a, you know, the second Caliph, I believe, but also Muhammad's father-in-law, quote, separated truth from falsehood. So let it become the epic of the era, unquote. So so the Hijri year one is our 622. 2023, this year for us, is Hijri year 1445. But but again, that to go back to the beginning, that's not what impresses me most. All of the Muslims' faith rituals are based rituals are based on the Hijri calendar. So Ramadan, Hajj, the Eids, Prophet's birth, etc., not only move through the lunar year, but also obviously don't align with the Gregorian calendar that governs. For almost all the Muslims we know, any you know their professional lives. So you, you have this, you know, contra, construct where you've got a you know when you're organizational. So you know is is Gregorian, but your religious and family in many ways is is Hijri. So uh, this year, for example, uh, Eid al Adha, Adha, which we just was just ha- occurred, which marks the end of the Hajj. It was observed starting on June 28th. It won't be on June 28th again for 30 years. I mean, all these important dates cycle through the year. You have to adapt. You have to change. They don't, you know, the the Gregorian calendar doesn't accommodate them. They just move through the year. So the the corollary for us would be 
that our work and family was Gregorian, but all our religious observations, Eastern Lent, Advent, Christmas, Hanukkah, whatever, were on a separate schedule that changed significantly each year. So I, I just think this is impressive. Um, and I wanted to give a shout out to all our uh, extraordinarily capable Muslim friends, especially in the professional world, who are able to adapt and able to move, able to accommodate, uh, you know, their, their their Gregorian life with their Hijri life. Uh, so again, on the occasion of the Islamic New Year, um, you know, I want to recognize all these all these incredibly competent Muslims. I know it looks easy. I don't think it's easy at all. Um, I hope I haven't offended Muslims everywhere with this very basic overview, but. Again, on the occasion of the Islamic New Year, here's a shout out to all you really, you know, Muslims, you know, keeping all this aligned and straight. Yes. Happy New Year. Um, that was a good one, Richard. I didn't know any of that. I also didn't know what your one big thing was this week in advance. So that was actually kind of cool. And as I asked you, I was like, you know, because typically we talk a little bit about it. And we just so that we kind of know what's going to happen. I didn't know. And I was week. like, you know what? This is it was a strange week. So I was like, oh, you know what? I'm going in. I don't know anything and actually learned a few things there, Richard. So that's really good. Um, I just wanted to second the the point that you made about how easily or so so sorry um how easy it seems to keep this straight um for followers of islam these two calendars that are completely different and yet it seems so natural that it's never like when you're talking to them they're never sort of doing a calculation in front of you it just sort of seems like it comes naturally like you said i know it's not that easy i can't even keep my own calendar straight richard i have two and i can't get those two straight so um and that's just one type of calendar the Gregorian calendar so um, that is amazing, Richard. What's what's the date of Easter this year, next year, 2024? I don't know. And you know, Richard, we joked about this, right? July 4th was, it's July 4th. That's the date, but it's right. going to happen occasionally on a Tuesday. And you're like, well, that's just no good. Christmas is always on the 25th. There's certain things that we know. And then there's yeah. some things like Easter changes and Thanksgiving. Does that uh, change? Uh, yeah, 20, it does. 26, I, right? Yeah. Well, yeah. yeah, it's, yeah, like, yeah. it's like something like the, the third uh thursday in um november thanksgiving easter same thing you know but it essentially moves by a day you know and i only know easter because it's near my birthday but yeah that's an example i can't even keep track of that imagine trying to keep it going a religious holiday that jumps so 10 or 11 days a year um, yeah and and thank goodness for modern calendar apps by the way that have these things built into them so that it just says easter and you're like oh cool and <laughs> some of my calendars actually have some other Things and you can actually get these plugins where, like, you know, you're like, oh, give me every Washington Capitals home game, you know, right. put into the calendar, which is delightful. Um, but yes, shout <laughs> out. That's <laughs> that's awesome. Um, but, you know, of course, Richard, then you kind of regret doing that. It's hard to unadd those things. And you're like, oh, I don't really care about <laughs> this anymore. It's, it's my calendar <laughs> is a friggin' mess. I, I did that with <laughs> Chelsea's games and I was like, I'm not going to get to watch most of these games. But uh, it just, it's there. It just makes you feel bad, right? It does. Yeah, it does. <laughs> um, Richard, that was a good one. And uh, and happy. Uh, it's it's history, right? History. Yes, New, history yes, calendar. Yeah. Yeah. History calendar. New Year to. Yeah. The 1.8 billion Muslims worldwide were sorry for insisting uh, on the Gregorian calendar as we do. And there are other calendars as well, Richard, in the East. And yeah, uh, it's just for us, it's just one calendar. So we appreciate the uh, fluidity there. <laughs> <laughs> um, Richard, my one big thing this week, um, we talked a little bit about weather. 
Um, weather is something that people just love to talk about in general. It's the first thing that you talk about when you enter an elevator with strangers or in a, in a hotel. <laughs> You're just like, oh yeah, it's warm outside. It's cool. Well, but it's a, but it's a dry heat. It's a dry heat. I'm going to get to that in a second. <laughs> I think there's a bit of a myth to the dry heat thing. But um, three continents right now are facing an enormous heat wave um, in the Middle East and Saudi Arabia. It is especially hot. Just how hot, if you're reading the news about it, you know it's hot enough to test the limits of human survival. Some of the numbers coming in from the region are pure insanity, Richard. Yes. On July 16th, 2023, Persian Gulf International Airport in Iran reported a heat index of 152 degrees Fahrenheit, 66.7 degrees Celsius. Wow. At 12.30 p.m. By the way, that's another uh, translation kind of two calendars thing going from Fahrenheit to Celsius. We yeah. kind of casually use Fahrenheit. That's what we use in the U.S. Um, pretty much everywhere else uses Celsius. And that's just one of those things the U.S. is going to be stubborn about. But uh, I had to get my translator app or the sort of Fahrenheit to Celsius out to get some of these numbers out. In Riyadh this week, Richard, high temps are hovering around 115 degrees or so, which is about 46 degrees Celsius. Uh, this morning, Richard, and I just checked, the temperature had already reached 100 degrees or 37 degrees Celsius by 9 a.m. And that is just so hot. Um, Richard, when I was in Riyadh last, when I was in Riyadh in June, the temps were around 110 degrees during the day. They dipped down to about 90 degrees at night. Actually had a couple meals outside at night um, shout out to my boy side. And I was like, this is not a good idea. It's 90 degrees outside. And, you know, because it is a dry heat and then they have these fans that are ubiquitous in Saudi Arabia that blow mist on you, which kind of gets a little bit annoying when you're like, have, you know, water on your like food menu or whatever, but the, it does keep you cool. It's weird. The dry heat and there's a little bit of mist and some, uh, air kind of yeah. is cool at night and no sunshine, obviously. Um, so, you know, it's, it's doable at night there. Um, it's getting down to about 90 degrees, a little bit more than that at night now in Riyadh still. So, you know, I think what happens is people just sleep in a little later and spend a little bit more time awake at night, which is interesting, but Richard, the global heat wave, um, is indeed a global stories. Records are being set all around the world every day in the first week of this month, Richard, which is July, 2023 set a record as the hottest global temperature since at least 1979. That's when modern records uh, really were beginning to be kept. Experts say ex experts say that it could be the hottest in one uh, hundred and twenty five thousand years Eesh. if you factor in proxy records like free rings and ice cores, things like that. We don't obviously really know for sure, but the planet is warming, and it's not just dangerously high temperatures uh, and their direct effect on humans. The higher temperatures globally will affect sea levels, as we all know. Ice melts from the North and South Poles faster than scientists previously expected. The warmer oceans this year mean a potentially more active hurricane season, despite El Nino, which was actually kind of a cool deep dive. Basically, a lot of air from El Nino pushes hurricanes out, makes it difficult for them to form. But because the Atlantic is so warm this year, reports from Florida um, are that if you get into the ocean, it's like getting into a warm bath and not refreshing at all. Uh, we may have a more active Atlantic hurricane season. Uh, but especially important for the Middle East, Richard, the Middle East and the Arab region. This is something we've discussed on this podcast several times. Um, going back to our conversation with Jeffrey Beyer, um, who's a sort of a climate sustainability expert based out of Dubai. Great conversation with him. Um, the Middle East and the Arab region are already facing rising temperatures almost twice as quickly as the rest of the world. 
This is according to a landmark study by the Cypress Institute's Climate and Atmosphere Research Center and the Max Planck Institute for Chemistry. If this trend continues, the average temperature in some areas will increase by four degrees by 2050. I think that's four degrees Celsius. Mm. The goal of limiting global warming to 1.5 degrees, as laid out in the Paris Climate Agreement, already seems pretty unachievable in the region, but we'll see. And Richard, recently, as we've talked about, you know, the weather here on the 966, we can't avoid it. Everybody talks about the weather all the time. It, it's funny, once you notice that, it's you, you notice how much people talk about it. Two weeks ago, Richard, 1.8 million Muslims battled through a days-long Hajj pilgrimage in Saudi Arabia in temperatures up to 48 degrees Celsius, which is about 118 degrees Fahrenheit. Hmm. Thousands were treated for heat stress. Several died. Um, Richard, in the GCC in Saudi Arabia, there are rules against, as you know, working during the hottest hours of the day. Um, increasingly, these areas are dependent on air conditioning more and more, but access to AC is not as widespread as it needs to be. Good time now, Richard, to give a shout out to Johnson Controls for doing the good work they do. Make sure you listen to our convo from a few weeks ago with CEO Mohanad Al-Sheikh. He was terrific. So what can be done? It's really hard to say, and that's sort of the mood that can be extracted from media reports now around the world, Richard, on this global challenge. But of the five countries in the world that have yet to ratify the Paris Agreement, four are in the Middle East, which is amazing. Iran, Libya, Yemen, and Iraq have all not signed the Paris Agreement. And it is in this hottest region of the world, Richard, the Middle East, that hosted the most, the two most recent, excuse me, the most recent UN Climate Change Conference, more commonly referred to as COP27, and the next Climate Change Conference, COP28, will be held in the UAE in Dubai on November 30th, 2023. Of course, Saudi Arabia is working on its own contribution to mitigating the efforts of climate change with the Saudi Green Initiative, which seeks to plant billions of trees and make it cities, which typically are hotter than average because of buildings and pavement, et cetera, make those cities more habitable in the summer with green spaces and ample shade. Another thing we've discussed recently on this podcast, Richard, the billions of trees that are going in into Saudi Arabia and especially Riyadh, the Green Riyadh Initiative, and there's some memes going around showing the difference between similar streets uh, around the world before and after trees and when the temperature would have been the same. But the at street level temperature is much lower because you're not getting direct sunlight and there's some sort of, you know, there's shade and, and uh, greater airflow because of these initiatives. So that stuff does work. Uh, but yeah, for sure, my one big thing this week is the big numbers on the thermostat around the world, Saudi Arabia and the water and, and the water Middle East are, are really experiencing some heat right now. For those of you who are in kingdom right now, and, and many leave in the summer, please stay safe and stay cool and send Richard or me via WhatsApp, LinkedIn, YouTube, or whatever, some thoughts on how you stay cool. If you have any tips that you do that are seem to be unique to you. Uh, Richard, I know I've already gotten several screenshot weather apps from friends just showing exactly how hot it is. So reach out to us and let us know if you have any uh, tricks or tips on staying cool because it's it's hot out there. It's hot here, Richard, in the United States, but not quite, not quite Middle East level hot or Arizona desert hot. So anyway, stay cool, everybody. Yeah, that was a good one. That was a really good one and timely too. I mean, uh, it is dangerous and it's, I mean, we can, yeah, obviously there's, should, there's some controversy of, of, you know, what we attribute it to, but it, we seem to be in a sort of a, uh, uh, worst case scenario of a lot of things coming together creating this heat dome uh it seems <laughs> envelops the whole whole <laughs> world 
So what's the on the on the not uh, signatories to the Paris Agreement? Wh- who's the fifth one? Do you does that is that you said Iran, Libya, Yemen, Iraq in the Middle East? You said there was another five. I don't know, but I would assume it's North Korea. I'm going to look it up right now. I think now. that's a good one. That's a good one. Not not none of these are big carbon emitters, but yeah, it is interesting. <clears throat> Uh, you know how they're going to remediate this and and try and you know get ahead of it because as you as you say you know the, the the temperatures all globally are going up but they're they're you know ramping up quickly in the Middle East to unlivable levels projected to be unlivable levels um, and it is interesting too always the you know every summer uh, Saudi Arabia at least has to. You know their their domestic uses of natural gas is you know they have to redirect crude and natural gas to deal with the huge energy draw from AC. Richard, I I sorry for slandering our North Korean listeners and viewers. Uh, they did sign the Paris Agreement. It was Eritrea. <laughs> did uh, not. Um, so anyway, yeah, that was that was my second guess. <laughs> um, <laughs> And you yeah. know that that's a that's a, you know that's I'm sure you know uh, d- does Eritrea emit any carbon at all? No, <laughs> and I think they have since signed it too, so it's super confusing. Right. Um, but right. yeah, that's that's really interesting. It this it just seems like the type of thing that North Korea would not sign because of, you know, just absolutely. A, um, I think that's a great guess. I and mean, you know, there's so many scenarios where North Korea is the right guess. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, so everybody stay cool. We will note, though, that um, Richard mentioned this earlier, the dry heat thing. It's funny because it, it does feel like not as hot. Like, Richard, it was in the 90s here where we are. And but with the humidity, you know, in the 80 percent humidity range, it's just, you can do like 10 minutes outside before you're just drenched in sweat. And it's completely unbearable. I mean, it makes everything from gardening to golf totally unpleasant. And so, you know, 90 degrees without humidity is a completely different ballgame. But um, that actually applies to the UAE and Dubai gets really humid. And I think places on Saudi Arabia's Red Sea coast also get um, quite humid in the summer. So that, you know, even though the temperatures are a little lower, it seems pretty steamy and warm there. So, um, yeah, just be safe, everybody, and uh, drink water. And get yeah, absolutely. And the, you get the wet bulb temperature effect out there, the, you know, where it's so hot and humid that you're, you're uh, you know, perspiring doesn't cool the body down. Yep. And that, that's when it gets, you know, at, at, that's when it gets really dangerous. But yes, excellent one. Very good one. Thank you. Yes, Richard. Uh, one last thing to add here. All the stories coming out from Death Valley and the tourists that are going to see it or like try to experience the warmest weather. There was a guy that ran in the hottest day ever on death in death valley ran a mile in a darth vader star wars suit um just i think to get media attention he survived but please don't do anything like that and stay inside so um yeah richard thank you that's uh pretty pretty interesting stuff we as we mentioned do not have a guest this week we are going to jump right into yella yella saudi in a, in a minute minute and Richard, you're going to kick this one off. Yield. This is an interesting sort of tie into the previous to my one big thing, um, which is which is cool. So, uh, Yella, fire away. <laughs> are we are we in order? I'm trying to think how it's going to tie into you. All right. So, what I have, Yella okay. number one, according to Regional <laughs> Projects Tracker, Mead Projects, uh, there were thirty eighty three billion worth of contract awards from January one to 
June 3rd, the best total for the first six months of a year since 2015. The $83 billion total is also a significant increase on the $47 billion of contract awards recorded during the first half of 2022, just last year. Saudi Arabia was the most active country for contract awards during the first six months of the year. There were $42 billion of of deals signed in the kingdom, the most on record. The previous high was $28 billion awarded during the first half of 2014. Yeah, Richard, this is interesting. That's that's a, a high, uh, an eight-year high for Saudi Arabia. Um, you know, in, in what is supposed to be kind of a weird economic year, twenty twenty-three. They're just building. Second most active market was the UAE, twenty-two billion of awards. Um, you know, the pandemic obviously was a little bit weird during that. Um, and it's interesting, Richard. We just talked about this, but you know, those building these and working on these construction projects in this summer period cannot work. And, and do you know the timing? It's like 11 to four or something like that, where there no one's allowed to work outside yeah. during the heat. I so. think it might be one to four, but if, if, yes, there's, and, and it wouldn't make sense to be one because it's made blazing hot 11. So I think you're right. Yeah. Um, but this is interesting, Richard. I mean, this is, uh, their Saudi Arabia is, is building. <laughs> That's the, the takeaway. They're, they're building. Yeah, and it is interesting that so so this is we're talking about comparing it to 2014, and you know, some of the, you know so that was 2014. Uh, you know the 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 totally the first half was 109 billion. So this is, and and the comparable one 2014 2015. You know so so basically that that period was you're coming off of three years of hundred dollar oil. So you see all these major, major, you know, investments and contracts and everybody's getting business and then it crashes and it, it goes down. I mean, at first half again in, in, in 2018 is 48, 47, uh, obviously during COVID 39. So, so it's now it's inching back up and it's, you know, it's a reflection of the economy. It's a reflection on the investment on, on the part of the government. But yeah, everyone's making hay. I think it's interesting that the largest contracts weren't signed in 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 Saudi. The largest one was a ten billion dollar contract in Qatar um, for um, natural gas train. Second largest was a resort in Dubai, and the third was another uh, ethane cracker in Qatar. So you know the Saudis are are you know rolling up the biggest numbers. Uh, but not necessarily the largest awards, which is a good sign. He said, you know, you're getting you're getting a lot of activity, not just one big hit. Yep. Yep. Interesting. Richard Yella, number two, Saudi Arabia agreed on Tuesday to buy Turkish drones in the biggest defense contract in Turkey's history as President Erdogan reaped the benefits of his diplomatic push to repair ties with Gulf powers and help Ankara's struggling economy. The agreement includes cooperation on technology transfer and joint production, quote, in order to advance the high technology development capability of the two countries, end quote. The two countries also inked several MOUs in sectors including energy, real estate, and direct investments. This was according to the SPA. Yeah. Uh, so uh, Erdogan's on a, you know, on a trip, Saudi, Qatar, UAE, rolling up. Uh, contracts. He hopes he needs help with his economy. It's kind of a little enshrouded in mystery. So this deal is announced as the largest one ever signed for that. The Turkish Baycar is the is the company that makes them, and but it doesn't give a number. I guess the largest ones that we know that's been announced was a three hundred sixty seven million dollar deal with Kuwait. So presumably it's larger than that. Um, 
And it's also interesting, too, because from the American perspective, we're a little uneasy when the Saudis are getting uh, defense technology from other countries. And like we don't, you know, they've turned to the Chinese for, for drone technology. Wonder if we, we feel better, you know, that they're turning to, uh, you know, a NATO member of NATO in Turkey. I was going to say, I wonder if there's some sort of approbation process where Turkey, you know, maybe runs this by the State Department or Defense Department or the C- even the CIA and says, hey, we're going to sell Saudi Arabia, another, you know, ally of yours, a bunch of drones. I mean, you know, I wonder if there's if that's if that's done at all or if I mean, if I'm sure U.S. officials were expecting this to go down. But yeah, uh, Richard, there's, there's that favorite uh, famous, excuse me, photo of Erdogan signing one of the drones. I think it was 2020. Yeah. Um, but it's weird because it doesn't look like a signature. It just looks like he's drawing on it, um, <laughs> which is uh, really funny. I didn't really, it wasn't really on my radar that the Turks were leaders in drone oh, development yeah, this, and production. So this, cool. This Bayraktar, I mean, yes, they've, they've been, it's been really, I mean, it's been game changing. Um, in a lot of ways for the region. And uh, my guess is the Turks probably don't ask for permission. They may give it up a uh, heads up, uh, you know, when they're selling arms to uh, uh, another country, um, you know, especially one that's an ally of Saudi Arabia, partner of Saudi Arabia, I mean, partner of the U.S. So, but I don't know for sure, but they probably give it a heads up. Uh, yeah. But they signed a lot of other things. And, the, and, you know, it looks like there's supposed to be some manufacturing and and technology transfer into the kingdom. So that's from Saudi Arabia's perspective. That's that's really important. Yeah, Richard, this was a sort of a healing tour for Erdogan. I mean, relations really hit a low in 2017 after the Khashoggi murder and the way Turkish officials sort of handled that and the leaking of information to the press over and over and over again, which is. It just seems like a 180 degree turnaround from that uh, time. And it's just it's interesting because, you know, Erdogan just secured a reelection uh, for another five years in that in that election there. Um, so it, it's interesting, really an interesting time. He obviously went to Qatar as well. And then um, the Emir of Qatar went to Saudi Arabia the following day for a GCC meeting. So, you know, diplomacy. 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 It's, it's, it's been breaking out for 18 months. The Turks really have to get back. When, in, in, you know, it, it's just too costly. Their economy is in too much trouble for them to be at, at odds with key neighbors like Saudi Arabia. And I know Erdogan is expecting big things from this trip and lots of investment. Yeah. Um, Rick, and Richard, a little bit of a mea culpa, by the way. It is July 20th. This will air really early morning, 8 a.m. Riyadh, 7 a.m. Riyadh, excuse me, on July 21st. We are how many years, uh, how many months, five months into the Iran-Saudi detente. And I was on the, I said, I wanted to go on the record saying I didn't really see it lasting up to the three-month agreement period. And mm. so, you know, I was wrong. Well, you, you know, conveniently, occasionally. <laughs> conveniently, your co-host doesn't remember anything. So if you had not Good. finished up to yeah. that, I would not have recalled it. <laughs> uh, I could just start convincing you that I said something a little while ago. And you're like, yeah, you did. You were way ahead on that thing. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, it complete, leaves me at a complete disadvantage with my wife who remembers everything. Of course. Yes. Uh, as so, all wives typically do. Yeah, exactly. Um, <laughs> Yellen, well, thank you for your integrity. You know, journalism, integrity, integrity, ethics is, is important here. Indeed. Indeed. It's a cornerstone of the 966. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> number three, Saudi Arabia was considered the 28th best country to live in as 
an expat and the United States ranked 30th, according to the Expat Insider 2023. In February, a survey was sent to more than 12,000 expatriates living in 172 countries with an online questionnaire organized into five categories. Participants were asked to rate 56 factors in the categories of quality of life, ease of settling in, working abroad, personal finance, and expat essentials. Only countries with a sample size of at least 50 participants were considered. That is shocking. You you would think that expats would prefer living in the United States or Saudi Arabia. At least that would be like the thing that I would expect. But um, it was also interesting, Richard, Saudi Arabia was fourth in the MENA region. Bahrain was first. Um, and then the UAE second, Oman third, and then Saudi Arabia ahead of Qatar as well. So that's that's interesting. And then Turkey was way back, 20 places behind Qatar. So um, I don't know how much these things really matter, Richard, but it does, in, I mean, especially when you make a comparison between two countries, although it is a pretty fair poll, but it really shows mostly, it speaks more to Saudi Arabia than it does against the United States, in my opinion, that it's becoming more and more livable for uh, expats. It's interesting. Well, you know, uh, ultimately, you're going to go where the jobs are. Uh, there is a quality of life aspect. And you all, you know, there, you know, in terms of comparison of Saudi and America, there may be Muslims who much prefer to be in Saudi and, 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 and so on and so forth. Yeah, there's a lot of factors involved. I mean, you know, the one constant, it seems to be that Kuwait is always ranked last. And, and they've sort of developed a reputation over the years, decades, of just being inhospitable to, to, to expats and, and foreign labor. Um, you know, which, I mean, that's been consistent. So uh, we don't know. Uh, at the top of the list, by the way, globally, Mexico is top of the list followed by Spain, then Panama. Oh, Panama. And Sweet. As, you, as you mentioned, Bahrain was the only one to make the top 10 list with uh, UAE and Oman just outside of the top 10 and 11 and 12. Yeah. Richard, you were right, by the way. Um, Saudi Arabia earned lower scores in the categories of quality of life and okay. ease of settling in, but excelled, including working abroad. So that's where the jobs are in Saudi Arabia. And I think yeah. that's reflected here. That's it is interesting. But, you know, these are the kind of metrics um, that Saudi under the Vision 2030 pay attention to. You know, th this is, you know, they'll take this and say, all right, we, you know, we're, we're, we're falling short in some areas. I hope they'll take this and fall. And, and, but it seems to be the habit where they're really trying to, uh, these benchmarks and metrics that are global in nature and, re and repeatable, they like to climb up the, the standings. And so hopefully they'll take this and go, okay, where, where are we, where are we missing on this? And what, what can we do to, uh, to make the experience more positive so we can attract the best talent available? Oops, sorry, bad use of the mute button there, Richard. I will say that it does seem just, this is one person's opinion, but it does seem that Saudi Arabia is much more livable now than it was two years ago, five years ago, 10 years ago as an American. Obviously this is expats all around the world. So not really speaking to Americans, but it seems more and more realistic that an American would take a job in Saudi Arabia um, now versus way before when they didn't have some of the best restaurants in the world and Riyadh season and a really increasingly interesting Saudi pro league and all these other things going on. So they are working on the quality of life situation. Um, visiting there, you just did recently as well. It's a lot more fun. So 
Um, yeah, but- and that's just the fun. That's just the non-work side of it. Uh, we, I was having a discussion recently with someone you know, and, and they were talking about, they, we won't mention them, they were talking about um, the regional HQ process and internally convincing people to uh, relocate from the Emirates, you know, Dubai, Abu Dhabi, to Riyadh. And the person was saying, you know, a lot of the the complaints, schools, things to do, don't really obtain anymore. The, 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 you know, this is this is their perspective. They said the biggest difference was alcohol, but all the other things uh, that were mentioned, she, this person thought they were dated and out of. You know, they were they weren't they weren't consistent with the current situation, and that that's just I just offer that. You know, as as an observation, you know, as that somebody made to me, who's actually in the mix. Yeah, Richard, we did a segment on whether or not Saudi Arabia will allow alcohol eventually, soon, later. Um, it's it's just interesting. It's like when I get in one person's opinion, but when you're there, I don't I don't think about it at all. It's not like I miss it, you know, or like oh, I really wish this dinner had alcohol. It's just strange. So I, some say that it's coming, and some say it's coming imminently. Um, I don't know if I see that. It's just kind of from talking to people, it doesn't seem like many people want that. Um, I mean, I guess that's usually one of the first things that comes to mind when you say, oh, I'm going to move to Saudi Arabia or I'm going to be there for two weeks. You know, it's like, well, can you get a drink anywhere? And it's like, well, no, you can't. But um, it's just it's interesting. So that is um, that will be interesting. I mean, and, and we'll watch this and we'll track it. Certainly if anything breaks, there's a lot of mixed messages in that one. I think it'll be fascinating if they can ramp up these tourism numbers, adventure tourism, you know, uh, historical tourism um, without alcohol. You know, if the numbers are going up without this. The other thing is, is, is uh, Sean Matthews, who writes for Middle East Eye, did an interesting piece on the yachting uh, industry in Saudi Arabia and how they're, they're really promoting the yachting scene on the Red Sea and how... And it's a little bit of a dichotomy in the sense that the yachting scene really likes alcohol. They, they, you know, that's part of the sort of culture. Uh, but you know, and Sean Matthews was talking about this. Uh, you know, when people showed up for the F one in Jeddah, and and docked, you know, their yacht came and did sell the show and all the entertainment. There was plenty of alcohol to be had through various means and that sort of thing. It's not official. And it probably, it certainly maybe that's not something that anybody wants to talk about, but I just say there's a little, you know, I only offer this as a, you know, everyone's trying to figure it out, what the practice is, what should be legislated, what should be policy, um, what's needed. And uh, to go back to the beginning, I'll be fascinated if, if Saudi Arabia finds they can reach their hundred million tourists by 2030 mark, that they have set as their goal without allowing alcohol. They may well, be able to do it. Yeah. Or yeah, go ahead. Please, a lot, sorry. a lot, sorry to interrupt. A lot of travelers like you and me will go, will enjoy it. You know, alcohol is not a big part of it. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, it's not a big part of it at all. And it's, I think people are aware of that. It comes with serious consequences and it, 
comes with consequences in the United States. I mean, there's alcohol causes a lot of problems here. And, you know, we tried and succeeded in banning alcohol. It was a huge part of our culture. It was part of all the immigrants culture that pretty much that came in, almost all of them. And in the 20s, we, we banned alcohol and we banned alcohol for a while. And part of the reason why it didn't, and it was popular, it was banned not because it was some authoritarian, you know, legislating on others thing. It was, it was enormously popular. The reason why it failed is because, you know, a lot of the enforcement regimes were underfunded. There's a great documentary about it, one of my favorites of all time from Ken Burns on prohibition and just sort of how it fell apart. Um, you know, but there, there are a lot of people that understand that it's, comes with a lot of challenges. And if you introduce, like, for example, if Saudi Arabia, Saudi Arabia were to say, hey, we're going to legalize alcohol tomorrow and it's going to be everywhere, you know, this is a culture that does not drink for the most part. So, you know, you'll get a lot of inexperienced drinkers. You'll have drinking and driving. There's just, there's a lot of problems that come with it. And so I, I think this is just an opinion, but I think that maybe they'll do, it'll just be very hush hush and if you want it, you can get it. I don't know. It's 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 something that I think about all the time because it's really hard to see happening, but it also kind of seems like it, it's going to happen. So, yeah, there's a there's a you know, yes, uh, I, I I can't make a call on that. People will just presume it'll happen. Some people will say that maybe it'll be just in certain zones. You know, for the longest time in the Emirates, you can only drink in hotels. Um, you know. The, you know, the same thing that happened in Prohibition. I mean, it led to the criminal enterprises, which you know, they're problematic in and of themselves. So I don't know. It'll be it'll be interesting. But it, you could I you could certainly see a world where they can reach a significant uh, goals in terms of tourism, where they where alcohol is not part of it. You can also see a world where it's very constrained and constricted to things like you know <clears throat> Red Sea islands or yachting resorts or <clears throat> Neom. You know, although that's, you know, that might, you know, they might have a huge population, at least as, you know, initial steps. And we always have to remember Saudi Arabia society is is conservative. It remains conservative. It's, you know, it's not a big fan of alternative lifestyles, certainly doesn't like drug use. Um, and this is, you know, the, this is not a passing thing. People feel this very deeply. So, you know, the, I think with anything like this, the, the government would be very careful in their choices. Yeah. Fascinating topic, Richard. This this was one of the longer yellows. This sort of, this sort of opened up uh, an interesting but bunch of different me, avenues. Let me, let me add, and I'm going to go back to the same thing. I probably said the same. This would be the third time. I said way back when, and Lucian, we've been together for a long time, but I, I always said, you know, the Saudis like... And actually, any responsible government. If you're if you're looking for a cultural or social change, it's the Saudis have 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 tended to to wait until there's an economic imperative that compels this change. A perfect example is women driving. Yes, you know you could have said you know vast numbers of of Saudi policymakers were just fine with this, but they needed the economic cover to put it out there as this is the new this is this is the new thing we're doing this differently same thing you know getting women in the workforce this is you know it's it's not a social or cultural assault or a, a, a modification of what we know and have known it's an economic imperative and so you know maybe if tourism is is struggling or if they just can't get certain things off the ground maybe they say okay we got to do alcohol guys cuz people aren't coming that's sort of what I'm saying. If people are coming, 
that economic imperative isn't so great. Yeah. I mean, you have been, you have been, that is, you have been very consistent on that. And that's a good point because it's, I don't know, like what's the, is there one right now? Not really. The tourism numbers are, are doing really well. The economy's doing really well. Development, we just talked about the construction and new contracts, everything awarded, you know, is, is fastest in the Middle East. It doesn't you, seem to be an imperative right now. Although, you know, if you want more F1s and a really good yachting scene like you get in Monaco, maybe. <laughs> but I mean, that, that's not an easy sell. And, you know? and it, may, it may come down to an aspirational choice. I mean, the Crown Prince has said, you know, our, our, our reference point is Miami. You know, and, and, and being that, you know, it's more than just a job, it's a quality of life. You know, all the things that are available to you when you step out, on, you know, outside the office door in Miami. Um, entertainment activity, weather, this and all that, uh, you know, that's what we want to be able to offer. Maybe that, you know, the, you know, inevitably part and parcel of that is an opportunity to consume alcohol. Yeah. And Richard, there have been experiments, maybe I mentioned this on a recent episode, but globally, you know, uh, Portugal legalized all drugs. And there was a, a feature length piece in the New York Times a few weeks ago about how poorly that's going and how they're trying to roll that back because it just didn't really work out. I mean, the, the idea is okay that, you know, you don't want to make criminals out of people that, are, that have an addiction issue, but at the same time, you it creates so many problems. And so, you know, it's just, and I'm, it's just a self-determination issue too, because what's good for us or what's good for Portugal or the UK isn't necessarily good for Saudi Arabia or China or anywhere else. So, you know, and there's always a, it's always a danger like Amsterdam. There's always a danger of liberalizing, uh, when others aren't, because you all of a sudden you're going to attract, you know, all the, the, you know, the characters and the, and the profiles and it'll be concentrated. So it's not like, you know, those people who are really, really interested in drugs and that sort of thing are distributed throughout the world. They're all coming to Amsterdam. Or they're yep. all coming to Portugal and then it becomes a real problem. You know, you see the, you know, see this in San Francisco when they're, you know, homeless policies, which have been very generous places, you know, it's just problematic. Yep. Good one, Richard. That, that, that was, who knew? Who really went, yeah. Who I was like, this is going to be one of the shortest episodes of what all was time. That it? it's just like, yeah, um, best country to live in versus the U.S. And it just a 15 minute <laughs> segment. So, but that was really good. And I think that's really interesting. And I think, it, it, it hits a lot of themes here. I mean, you know, not just what we just it talked does. about with alcohol, but just quality of life, jobs, like, uh, you know, Saudi Arabia opening up, but also staying true to itself. So uh, good one, Richard. And uh, now I forget whose read it is. I, I think, think it's maybe... you. I think it's you. Yeah. Okay. It's me. All right. Um, and may, I hope we have the same list, Richard. We didn't really confab. Japanese premiere. Yep. Japanese premiere. Japanese premiere. Yellow number four. Fumio Kishida kicked off his golf tour over the weekend with a stop in Saudi Arabia. A total of 26 agreements in the fields of healthcare, clean energy, mining, digital innovation were announced during a Saudi-Japanese roundtable in Jeddah on Sunday, which was attended by Kishida and Saudi Minister of Investment Khaled Al-Faleh, among other officials. Kishida was later received by the kingdom's de facto leader, His Royal Highness Crown Prince Mohammed bin Salman, where the two leaders agreed to showcase, quote, Saudi Arabia and Japan's leadership in clean energy projects and sustainable advanced materials, end quote. When we included this, we had the Erdogan visit. So just this last week, you had the prime minister of Japan and you had the president of Turkey. And they just uh, they're hosting now the GCC East Asia Summit. And that's the stance, you know. Kyrgyzstan, Turkmenistan, 
uh, you know, there's five of them. They're all in now in Riyadh. Um, this is just interesting. And, and Tokyo was part of Tokyo's motivation here, Japan's motivation to ensure and reinforce and expand the relationship is because they're concerned about Saudi Arabia's growing relationship with China. It's just funny, these knock-on effects. When you start broadening your horizons and diplomatically you're more active and you're inclusive and, you, and this sort of thing, you have these these secondary effects like Japan coming and say, okay, look, you're our primary, you know, we get 90% of our oil from, from GCC states, 40% from you guys, Saudi Arabia, in terms of total needs. But, you know, we want to make sure that's in shape. But, oh, by the way, we want to expand our, our partnership and and move it beyond just oil and 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 look at clean hydrogen, ammonia, recycled carbon fuels, you know, all the things, by the way, that you're really interested in. It's it's smart diplomacy, but it, it's triggered in part by Saudi Arabia's, uh, you know, growing relationship with China. Um, so anyway, I guess it I guess it 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 speaks to the advantages of engaging and building with everybody. Yeah, Richard, there was a big Saudi Japanese hangout in Riyadh in just after Christmas in 2022, and there were a bunch of agreements signed there. I think it's really interesting that Japan is heavily dependent on the Middle East and especially Saudi Arabia for oil and energy. Um, in 2022, this is from the same article, I believe, 93% uh, of Japan's total crude oil imports came from the Middle East, 42 of which came from 42% uh, of which came from Saudi Arabia. So there's a really strong Saudi Japanese energy trade going on. And then you also have Saudi Arabia's PIF investing heavily in Japanese gaming and um, animation and, and different things like that. So they've they've sort of enjoyed a, a pretty strong and consistently strong relationship for a long time. So it's interesting. And, and I think you're exactly right about China. I mean, that, that's a great point. Nice. Um, Tokyo rules, by the way. It's just one of the coolest cities in the world. It's so clean. So I have not gotten there. there. Uh, dude, it, you're going to, oh, you will, you will love it. You, you will love it. I, I know <laughs> you. Because I like it. order. <laughs> yeah, you like order. You like things orderly. The trains are incredibly clean and on time and everything makes sense. And yeah, you're going to love it. <laughs> um, Yellen number five, an official from Israel's Ministry of Foreign Affairs has confirmed to Al Monitor that work has begun on a land bridge project connecting the country to Saudi Arabia and that it will operate even if diplomatic ties between the two countries are not officially normalized. The planned land bridge route will facilitate the transfer of goods and trucks between the countries and is expect expected to facilitate trade for the entire region. It will also enable tourist movement. YNET reported that the new land bridge could save up to 20% in shipping costs and speed up trade to two and up to two or three days from several weeks, citing a study conducted by the Israeli foreign ministry and the U S government. This is interesting, Richard. It kind of goes to what Pre president Biden said in that interview with Fareed Zakaria. We talked a little bit about it last week. You know, there's sort of relations are already warming in the background here. So there isn't like, a big dam that's holding a big flood of relations from erupting. So you kind of see this stuff moving forward. It, it, things like this make me think that there probably won't be some big grand announcement uh, soon, but you never know. But I didn't know that uh, Israeli tourists could visit Saudi Arabia directly. Um, I mean, I guess I was wrong about that, but that's what this clearly says. 
I agree with you. I think you're spot on. And, you know, this is there's a there's a there's a, a rapprochement and intertwining of economic and commercial interests, you know, ongoing. And this is, you know, there's the I to you two, so India and Israel too, and the United States and UAE sort of compact this this group, and it has its purposes. But they recently you know, suggested a rail link, you know, a tracks for regional peace, just a massive infrastructure project. And, you know, part of it, it came after the the agreement that uh, Saudi, that, that was signed between Iran and, and Saudi Arabia and China. And, you know, so there's a response, you know, we have to be, we have to be, a, we have to be proactive. We have to counteract the Belt and Road Initiative. Um you know, so it was. It seemed a little hurried and rushed together. This seems more organic, and and uh, more pragmatic, and uh, more within the bounds of what's doable uh, to move the you know move the the ball forward. Yep, absolutely, and good for Saudi Arabia for sort of. I mean, it's something that you can really take stock of over six months since really the beginning of the year. But this this whole like pivot, the foreign policy pivot, this has kind of been ongoing for a while, but. Gosh, I mean, like just a totally different mindset and, and everything's in motion. So, well, you cool. know, and, and the nice thing is it's just common, common discussion. You know, it's just a discussion. It's just, you know, what's out this advanced business? You, if you want to talk about normalization, that's a separate thing. But hey, look, there's some opportunities here and we could use your technology and, and some other things. So why don't we make this happen? Yep. Richard Yella, number six. Um, a shorter episode this week, Richard, but it's been fun. It always is. We get to the sixth one and we're like, oh, six ones. <laughs> another couple more. <laughs> Saudi Arabia uh, was announced as the host of the 2027 Pan-Arab Games at the conclusion of this year's multi-sport event in Algeria. The Arab world's most prestigious sporting event, the Pan-Arab Games, returned to Algeria after a 12-year hiatus. The Games featured athletes from 22 Arab nations. The 2027 Games will be the first time Saudi Arabia has staged the event, which was inaugurated in 1953. This is pretty cool. We talk about this all the time. I mean, Saudi Arabia obviously is into sports and promoting sports and, and participation in sports at home. They're also like the, you know, they're convening like crazy and, and getting, you know, securing hosting duties for all sorts of stuff. 2027, they have the Asian Cup. When do they have the Asian Winter Games when Trojina has to be done? Is that 2029? 2029, yeah. Um, obviously, they are put their hat in for the FIFA World Cup, either 2030 or 2034. They obviously put their hat in for the uh, World Expo 2030. Um, it's pretty cool. And this Pan-Arab Games is kind of neat. I mean, they, you know, this is, as, as, as said, you know, it's basically the Arab world's most prestigious sporting event. And it's never been held in Saudi. They've had uh, this year, I think, was the thirteenth iteration of it, the one in Algeria. Um, you didn't have women until nineteen eighty-five, uh, but anyway, it's it's very cool. And and again, Saudi Arabia is trying to be, you know, front and center uh, at anything, almost anything that they think is meaningful, both in terms of uh, expanding their brand, telling their narrative and promoting, you know, uh, priorities at home. Yeah. I'm glad you said priorities at home, Richard, because I mean, that we've really been talking a lot about sports and sports washing. The conversation with Simon Chadwick was sort of the 
awesome. peak for us. It was so awesome. And, you know, he's quoted pretty much every day in a newspaper around the world about this, about the, uh, the story and what's going on. So it was really cool to, to have him on the 966. And, and even if you think that that is uh, the main goal of what Saudi Arabia is doing is to somehow use sports to clean up its image, the reality too, the other reality is that they also need a healthier population. If you look at how they did in the uh, in these games, you know, it wasn't great. No. So they're working on, you know, becoming a more athletic nation that can compete in these games and the Olympic games and other games place 10th in the overall standings at the Pan Arab games. So, you know, it's got a lot of ground to make up and, and it wants its uh, population to be more athletic. Uh, Saudi Arabia success came in karate. They topped the medal table with two golds, um, picked up two golds in weightlifting and table tennis, according to this story. But you know, they, they want to be yeah. more, they want to be a more athletic nation. It's just a fact. So, I mean, that's, that's part of that. And then, you know, not a lot of people in the West watch the Pan Arab games. So <laughs> how does that fit into what is going on here? So just, you know, it's interesting. And, and, you know, Richard, you and I are super on top of this. So um, no, that those are, those are good things. Yeah. So, um, thank you. It, it happens once or twice an episode and the rest is no, no. The rest. I just lie about six you, months later. I'm like, remember when I made that point? <laughs> you've been in, you've been in fuego today. Well, thank you. Give me talking about the hot weather and I will become in fuego and alcohol. And, yeah, and alcohol and, and yachting. Yeah, yachting. yachting. Yeah, these, are all, <laughs> these are all summertime uh, activities. And how bad I am at keeping a calendar, which is also not great. Richard, <laughs> speaking of calendars, we will be back, of course, next week and every week going forward with really some good guests coming up. So this was a little bit of a breather for us. Um, and we just have some really awesome voices joining us soon. So we're really excited to share those with our listeners and viewers. And we, we always say this, but thank you guys for listening and, and watching us. Um, it keeps us going because it's so cool to see more and more people watching, listening, and then commenting to us, which we really like. So please keep that up. And, and thank you to all of y'all. I just echo that 100%. Thank you. I, I'm, I, I'm consistently amazed and delighted and grateful that we're people are tuning in and more and more people are tuning in. It's really, it's really a, a, a surprise and it's, it's really nice. Yeah, it is a surprise, Richard, because we really started this thinking that we would just get the content out there because we thought it was valuable and too valuable to have talks like this and not have other people listen right. to it if they think it's interesting. And so it's kind of cool to see that. And it, it really is great, too, because, you know, people express interest in the uh, newsletter that we produce, which grows as well. So it's it's kind of feeding off of each other and just it's nice. So, you know, go us <laughs> and thank you guys. Well, so. It's almost like we knew what we were doing. <laughs> yeah, almost. You know, we could have <laughs> fooled some people on that <laughs> on that front. So, um, Richard, thank you very much. See thank you. you. Awesome. Awesome stuff. Stay cool, everybody.